From WUWM, Milwaukee's NPR, this is Capital Notes, a podcast about Wisconsin politics and politicians. I'm Marty Michelson. Each week, I discuss noteworthy developments with J.R. Ross, editor of WISPolitics.com. Here's our latest conversation. So, Jr. the Wisconsin school superintendent's race heated up some more last week. The statewide race pits former Brown Deer superintendent Deb Kerr, who was backed by conservatives, against Pecatonica superintendent Jill Underly, who was supported by Democrats and the teachers' unions. The election is being held April 6th. Underly launched the first attack ad of the campaign last week, and it's airing in TV markets across the state. The ad accuses Kerr of trying to cover up a financial scandal that occurred in her district in 2009 and says she can't be trusted. With the spring election only two weeks away, do you think we'll start to see a bombardment of ads from both candidates? Well, I don't know how intense it's going to get, but right now what I'm seeing uh, through filings with the state is that there's a Democratic group, uh, Better Wisconsin Together, that has spent more than $400,000 on a cable buy, uh, opposing Kerr. Uh, I have seen a smaller digital buy from American Federation for Children Independent Expenditure Fund uh, opposing Underly. So things are starting to heat up. You have Underly up on the air. What really people are watching that I, when I talk to him is, you know, will the school choice forces, the conservative forces, will they really get intensely invested in this race and put up a decent amount of money? Now, you know, the $56,000 that the American Federation for Children spent, is, it's nothing to laugh at, but it's also not matching what's going on the other side because you have both that $400,000 cable buy from Better Wisconsin Together and Underly Up on the Air. So they have a, an edge on what's uh, up on the, on the air that people are seeing. It's interesting that even though the spending is one-sided right now, there's some time to make that up because there isn't really anything else on the ballot uh, April 6th, that's going to dominate the airways or kind of clutter up the airways that would be hard to break through for your message. So if you have a good, uh, decent-sized buy that has a potent message and you, you can really hit it for the last 10 days of the race, you could maybe make a difference. And that issue is probably going to be uh, about opening schools uh, for the Kerr people. That's been one of her big arguments. She's pushing the idea of getting kids in school now. Um, Underly is taking a little more nuanced approach about open schools when it's safe, but there's definitely some frustration out there among parents whose schools aren't open to in-person instruction. Now, it's also changing a little bit because you have districts like Madison and Milwaukee, two of the biggest ones that had been all virtual. They're now moving toward getting kids back into school. So does that take some of the edge off that issue? Maybe, but it's been one that um, Kirk could really use for advantage if they just have to have the resources behind it to make a difference. And we just don't know yet if they have those resources or if the groups behind her are going to put up the resources to make an effective argument on that campaign issue. The candidates also traded some barbs last week, back and forth. It came to light that Underly, who has been a longtime champion of public schools, sent her kids to private school during the time she worked for the Wisconsin Department of Instruction and lived in Madison. That prompted critics, as well as her opponent, Deb Kerr, to call Underly a hypocrite. At the same time, Kerr drew criticism for apparently using her school district email during work hours to set up her private consulting firm. How much of an impact do you think these attacks will have on voters? They're more effective if they're in a campaign ad. I mean, no offense to newspaper stories, but they have limited 
uh, readership sometimes and people don't really see them over and over to have it sink in, you know, and with Underly, uh, her kids were in 4k in kindergarten at the time. They didn't go to, you know, they didn't spend all their years in private school, for example, with Kerr. She says it was, you know, handful of emails out of thousands that she sent. So, you know, they're both not great stories for either candidate, but I don't know that unless they're put into campaign ads, they're really going to burn in with the public. In another development, Republicans in the state legislature last week introduced a bill that would require Wisconsin prisoners to spend their stimulus checks on restitution to their victims. President Biden recently signed the latest round of stimulus checks of $1,400. Under the bill, any federal COVID relief money sent to incarcerated people in Wisconsin would have to go toward any restitution the inmate owes. Do you think this bill will pass, and if so, will it survive the governor's veto? Uh, it's kind of early in the process. I'm not really sure if it's going to pass. What people really mo- noted more to me this past week about that bill, and also there's a, a one that um, three Republican members of the Wisconsin House delegation have introduced at the federal level um, that bar presidents from getting money, is that these are coming now with the package that Biden signed, but nobody said boo about what was going on on the two one that Trump signed because recall last fall, a federal judge ruled the IRS could not withhold from prisoners uh, these stimulus payments. So there wasn't any effort made congressionally to push a bill that would change change that. So this is kind of really more about trying to change the dynamic, the narrative about the COVID bill, because what we're seeing is that that bill is overwhelmingly popular, which makes some sense because when you're getting checks for uh, three, four, five thousand dollars, it's something you probably are going to like. But Republicans have been a little flat-footed about the messaging with this latest COVID bill. They haven't done a great job of trying to push back on some of the um, benefits of it with some things that they think are, are negatives. So you're seeing them a little bit more aggressive trying to message some things that maybe try and change the narrative because what you're seeing from Democrats is they realize with the stimulus bill that they passed under President Obama back in 2009 that that bill quickly got away from them in terms of how the public viewed it, and it became viewed as a waste of taxpayer money, and then it was used against them in the 2010 campaign cycle. Democrats don't want to make that mistake again. We're seeing ads, for example, run by Democrats praising Ron Kind over his vote in favor of it. Uh, The DNC has put up an ad in Milwaukee uh, with Joe Biden's words about the bill. They're all trying to push a more positive view of this legislation that we saw 12 years ago, knowing that this is going to be a major issue in the campaign next fall. They want to try and strike the iron as hot and uh, bolster those good numbers they're seeing right now and keep them there between now and next fall. And finally, Republican U.S. Senator Ron Johnson announced last week that he will not run for governor next year. Johnson has had politicos somewhat on pins and needles, wondering if he'll run for a third term in the Senate in 2022 or if he'll make a bid for governor. Johnson has at least put that speculation to rest. Were you surprised that he did? No, it really never made sense to be like talk to for Ron Johnson to run for governor. Um, they seem as somebody more, much more interested in federal issues than in state ones. And the idea of him, you know, being governor's wasn't one they really kind of could picture. They, they really see him more as senator or nothing in 2022. As for whether he'll announce another Senate bid, Republican Party of Wisconsin Chair Andrew Hitt said last week that he wouldn't be surprised if Johnson waited until early next year to do so. 
Why would Johnson wait that long, and what would that mean for others who might want to get into the race? Well, one, I mean, look at all the attention that Ron Johnson is getting right now. You know, he's his comments about January 6th have gotten a lot of national play, and part is because he has a platform as one of the key cogs in the Republican plan to, to take back control of the Senate, as well as a Democratic plan to enhance their control of the Senate in 2022. Because he's such a key race, such a key figure, he's getting attention. There's a platform for him. Once he announces what he's going to do, that attention might uh, die down, but if he's not going to run. So the impression I've gotten from talking to people is Ron Johnson is going to say what he believes, what he feels about various issues, including you know this discussion ongoing about January 6th. And once he's done saying his piece, he's going to kind of take a look around, make an assessment of where he's at in terms of uh, another run, and then he'll make a decision then. And it could be in 2022. You know, it, it might take that long. But again, part of the reason why he's got so much attention is he has the platform and he's going to use it. And that's probably part of what drives the decision too. Uh, Ron Johnson is well known for not really caring much for political consultants. And he thinks that campaigns take too long or too expensive. So in his mind... You know, somebody could run the way he did in 2010, where he waited until, you know, he didn't actually announce in 2010 until like formally in April or May, something like that, and won the election in November. So in his mind, you know, that's the way things should run. Um, I don't know if it, he'll wait that long, but that might play into it as well. And how it affects others, well, you know, if you're a Mike Gallagher, for example, the congressman from Green Bay, if you've got an iron ring for U.S. Senate, you can keep, you know, keep raising money through your house campaign account uh, with your intention of running for election to house seat. But then if Ron Johnson says he's not going to run, switch over to, you know, uh, a Senate campaign. If you're Kevin Nicholson, who ran in 2018, you know, it maybe is a little bit tougher for you because you're looking at running both for governor and U.S. Senate in 2022. Um, you know, you got to make a decision at some point. So can you wait until Ron Johnson makes his call to make your decision, might you feel need, if he, there are no signs about him and and the Senate race, might you feel a need to go ahead and announce for governor and start running for that race? You know, it's something you have to think about. And there are other people like, you know, uh, Sean Duffy, former congressman up in the Wausau area. He's got two million bucks in the bank as it is. So he really doesn't have to worry about whenever Ron Johnson makes a decision, if he wants to run for the Senate, he's got money put away. So there are a couple people out there, potential candidates who have got, you know, resources available to them that they can just flip a switch and go. Um, but if you're somebody who's trying to get start from scratch, you, you know, launch from, from nothing and build a network, it makes it harder for you the longer Ron Johnson waits to launch a campaign because you don't have those resources built up. You don't have a network that you've put together. So it, it's something that will play for some people, but there are a few, few folks who have some advantages that they can, they can launch a campaign quickly if need be uh, next year. That's WISPolitics.com editor J.R. Ross. You can join us each week for our conversations. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to Capital Notes on iTunes, NPR One, or wherever you get your podcasts.